Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Today we're going to talk about better. We're going to talk about wanting something better. Anybody here want something better anywhere? Why are you in church if you want something better? There's this myth that's been perpetuated by churches and preachers through the years. It don't make a lick of sense to me. I've heard preachers say Jesus came for everybody. He did not. He was very clear that he didn't come for everybody. The man said, I did not come to call the righteous. If everything's all right in your life and everything's right, I'm not who you want. Jesus said, blessed are the needy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, I, I came to help people who need. So I came for people that want something better than what they got. If, you, if you're fine, you don't need Jesus. Jesus is only for people who want something better than what they got. Now, I've known Jesus for years. <clears throat> and he's given, I traded up with God. One of the great damning lies of this nation is you trade down with him. That's a lie. I traded up with him. My life's been better since I began to follow him. But we live at a, uh, we live at a, a healthy tension. And here it is. So grateful, so grateful for what he has done for us. But wanting to see more. That's the tension of faith right there. He said, in everything, give thanks. He's been good to me and I'm thankful for what he's done for me. But why did he also say in the same book, ask, seek, knock. Everybody that asks receives. If you keep on seeking, you find. If you keep on banging on heaven's door, it'll keep opening. That's that healthy tension between Look what the Lord has done for me and I got to see more. I want more in life. I want something better in some areas and I really want something better for people. The greatest burden of my life as a pastor, and this is a great burden to my heart. It is to anybody. It's, it's like me. The great burden of my heart is not that people are saying, that don't bother me. I'm one. If, if you're bothered because people are acting like devils, you're nuts. I mean, that's wrong. <laughs> the great burden of my life when I look at screwed up people is you were created for better than this. You weren't created to live like this. You just look at people and say there is something better out there. Jesus' heart, he looked at the people and he had compassion because he wanted people to have something better. Do you know why Jesus came to this earth? All right, we're going to read the verse. I think this is the great fulcrum verse of the Bible. The whole Bible is condensed into one half a verse right here. And uh, this verse does two things. It, explain, it explains why the planet's so screwed up and it tells us why Jesus came. John chapter 10, verse 10. You need to memorize this one. And it says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That tells you why the planet's so screwed up. In case you're wondering. Surely you don't think God's behind this stuff, the good God. But listen to the second half of that verse. This is why Jesus came. I have come that you might have life and have it what? Have more abundantly. Does that sound better to you? Jesus came to this earth because he wants you to have something better. Jesus died on a cross so you can have something better. This is the history of scripture. This is, this is all, and this is for everybody, every person. Jesus came for people to have something better. Don't you want something better for your kids? Something better for your friends. Something better for your neighbors. I've been a man that has been blessed beyond measure. And I'm, I'm, I just have been. He's been good to me. And you say, well, you greedy pig. Amen. <laughs> I'm always pressing for more. 
because he's that good. And this is the heart of God. Let me tell you what, you know what discontentment is? In, right in here, discontentment, that is the voice of God. The Bible teaches that discontentment in here is the voice of God saying, I got something better for you. And we press on. All right, I want to, uh, we're gonna look in the scriptures. To have better, Jesus said, to have better, you gotta do something. And I wanna show you what the scripture teaches this morning about it can be better. I want you to turn me to the great passage about it can be better. In Luke chapter five, turn back one book. Luke chapter five is the great passage on it can be better. I love this little picture right here. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. They're all my favorites. Luke chapter five. Now, we're gonna look at what he talks about having something better. And Jesus said, if you, here's what it means to have, how you find something better. But listen, y'all know Jesus, don't you? How's he gonna say it? He's gonna put it in a parable. The Bible said, I will speak to them in parables. So he's gonna take a truth about life and he's gonna wrap it in a parable. And our job is to take that parable like a banana and peel the sucker. We got we to peel it back and say, now here's what he's really saying. And this is that great few verses on I want better. Begins in Mark, excuse me, Luke chapter five, verse 37. Here's what he says. No one, Luke 5, 37. Nobody puts new wine in an old wine skin because the new wine would burst the skin and be spilled, wasted, and the wine skins would be ruined. Amen. You don't know what that means. Uh, in that day, you didn't put wine in a bottle like y'all do. You put wine in skins. You took goat skins, you tanned them, you sewed them together, and that made your wine bottle or your wine skin, and that's what they put the wine in. All right, why did Jesus say you cannot put new wine in an old skin? Because a new skin is soft and it's pliable. Tell me what wine does when it gets inside. Not inside of you, inside the bottle. I know what it does when it gets in you. What does wine do when it gets inside that skin? What does wine do when it's new? It expands, ferments, and it expands. What if your skin can't give? What if your skin is rigid and tight and will not change? You could tear it up, waste the wine. That's why Jesus said you can't put new wine in a wine skin. Tell me what new wine's got to go in. Well, read the next verse with me. Verse 38, new wine must be put into new skins and they're saved. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, verse 39. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. He says, the old is fine with me. What's the word in verse 39? Contentment. I'm happy right where I'm at. I don't need no more. I don't care whether my kids have anything better than this. And Jesus said, one of the worst things you can be in your life is content with where you're at and content with what you've got. But if, a new, listen, you take a new wine skin and you pour wine in there, if that skin will do what? If it'll flex and bend and expand and let the wine do what it wants to, then you can preserve it. Then you got something good. You say, what, what's all this booze stuff got to do with a better life? Surely you don't think he's talking about, you don't think he's talking about Boone's Farm, do you? I know, I know, Savignon. I know y'all drink that uppity mess. You're not down there with the ripple crowd, are you? All right, listen to me. I am the skin. My heart, my attitude, my mind, my life is the wine skin. The wine is always the spirit of God in the Bible. God can only work in a person that will flex, be pliable. If you are rigid and set and you ain't gonna move, he can't help you. And if you're one of them people says, I am perfectly content. Everything I've always had is fine by me. Just a few more weary days and I'll fly away. 
He can't do anything for you either. Very clear. What, what does the Bible teach right here? All right, six realities of having a better, something better in life. Number one, for something better, you must be willing to, I'm going to say a word in a church that is, it's worse than a curse word in church, but I'm going to say it. I'm old. I don't care if you fire me or not. I'm going to say this word in church. This will get you fired in a lot of churches. Here's the word. I'm having trouble getting it out. Change. Change. Dear ones, if you're going to have something better, you have to be willing to change. What did Jesus mean? If you can't be flexible and pliable and change, I can't help you. If you are stuck where you're at, I'm not even going to try. If you want something better, you've got to be willing to change. Now, I'm a quote freak. I love quotes. And uh, I collect quotes. And I'm going to give you three quotes by three famous people who say the same thing. Number one, quote, insanity is to do the same thing over and over expecting different results. End quote. Yeah or nay? Yes. Who said that? Somebody got it. Albert Einstein said that. Quote number two. If you want something different, you have to do something different. End quote. Who said that? As Ben Franklin said that. He's a pretty quotable guy too. Quote number three. New wine must go into a new wine skin. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's pretty famous too. All three said the same thing. What does this passage teach me? What is the essence of something better in life? Change. If you can't flex and change and be adaptable, I, I can't help you. You're going to have to change. All right, if you go through scriptures, is this true? Does the Bible bear this out? I'll give you two pictures. One day Jesus is at a well and he meets this woman and this woman was a, she was a party animal. That's a nice way of saying it. She'd slept with everybody in town. She was the rock and roll queen of that community. And Jesus approaches her and he did not fuss at her about her lifestyle. He went right straight to the heart of the issue. Listen to what he said to her. You're not really happy, are you? He said, you're not really content with this life, are you? What do you think he meant when he said, you keep drinking this water, you'll, you'll always be thirsty. This lifestyle can never satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And listen to what he said to her. I can help you find what your heart's looking for. I'll, I'll help you find true contentment. Isn't that what he meant when he said, you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. This lifestyle is always going to leave you empty. I'll give you a life that'll fill you and you'll find contentment. You'll never thirst again. And uh, she said, I want it. He said to her, hang on a minute. He said, hang on a minute. We're going to make some changes and then I'll give you what you want. And listen to what she said. I will make the changes. And if you read the rest of the story, she found what she'd always been looking for. She just, she just, she'd been looking at the wrong man. She finally found the right man. And she found what her heart was looking for. You know why she found it? You know why he gave her a better life? Because she was willing to make the change he asked her to make. Contrast that with the young man in Mark chapter 10. We call him the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he, and he, he approached Jesus. Jesus didn't go witness to him. He approached Jesus. He said, I'm missing something. I want something better in life. And Jesus said, uh, okay. He said, keep every commandment. I want you to listen to what he said. I've kept every one from my childhood. Not I. And Jesus said to him, what? We'd make him an elder. Jesus said to him, <laughs> Jesus said, that's not enough. He said, keeping every commandment will keep you from getting hurt. If you quit stealing, you won't go to jail. If you quit committing adultery, your wife won't do the Freddy Krueger thing on you in the night and saw you in half. <laughs> if you quit stabbing people in the back, you can have some friends. There ones, 
obeying the commandments will give you a safe life, but not a great life. Jesus said, there's, there's one more thing you got to do to find what you're looking for. Jesus said, I want you to change something. He said, he said, what is it? He said, sell everything you got. Give that money away and you come walk beside me. Listen to what he said. I can't make that big a change. I'm not flexing that much. I want you to listen to the next verse. He walked away sad. Is your money worth being sad over? Is your unwillingness to change worth having an empty life over? Jesus, listen, Jesus very clear about this thing. You have to be willing to change. All right, let me, let me just take a poll here. I'm gonna keep saying this ugly word in church, change. It's just so, just so good to say it, change. Are you willing to change to have something better? New wine only goes in a new skin. Number two, if you're gonna have something better, there's gonna be a price tag. You have to be willing to pay a price to have something better. Uh, I may even know that price is an important matter in things. All right, I used to ride a scooter years ago, Harley Davidson, Electroglide. I love riding motorcycles. I was born to be wild. I was born for that stuff. But I got old and I don't have the balance, so I quit riding them because old ladies with cell phones in their hands kept trying to run over me. Can I get a witness? Well, once in a while I go over to Harley Davidson place over there because I get, I use a Harley Visa card. I've got $1,100 in free t-shirts over there for using that Visa card. And I go over there and I walk in and all of a sudden I'll get this thing called scooter lust. I see them things. I'll try not to look over. I'm supposed to be over in the t-shirt section. I'm looking over at the bike section. It, just something gets on me and I just, you know what happens when we start lusting after something? Our minds start figuring out a way. And I start thinking, I'm old, but Heck, I've had a great life. Going to heaven. And I'll go over and I'll start looking at him and I get to thinking, I, I'll work, I can do this. I, I'm going to get me one. I'm going to get that one right there. That's me right there. And I just see myself, God, the wind. Of course, I ain't got no hair for it to get in anymore. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to get me one. And, but you know what stops me? There's this thing hanging on the handlebars called a price tag. I turn that thing over and I think, $25,000 for two tires, a seat, and a handlebar? You gotta be kidding me. Everything you want's got a price tag. If you want something better, you're gonna have to pay the price. And this book is very clear. There are some prices to be paid if you want something better. Let me, I'm gonna go ahead and get ahead of myself here. It is worth it. It's worth it. All right, several things we have to pay the price for. Number one, <clears throat> if you're gonna have something better, with this God, you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. How many of y'all know what the comfort zone is? Everybody in this room's got one. It's this little line you've drawn around your life and you say, I'm comfortable here. I ain't comfortable out there. Let me tell you something about the comfort zone. There's one thing, I know, according to this book, let me tell you what I know about a comfort zone. The comfort zone is where God ain't. God don't do comfort zone. Read anywhere in this book. You know where the living God is? He's right on the other side of your comfort zone. Isn't that where he's at? One day there's this guy named Simon. Twelve of them were sitting in the boat. They all loved God. They were all good people. One of them said, I want more than this. Simon said, I want more. I want to be closer to Jesus. Simon did not try to walk on water. He wanted to get to Jesus. But he had to walk on water to get there. And Simon said, I, 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 want, to, I want to be where you, I want more. And Jesus said, crawl over the edge of that boat, big boy. Oh, Take your bass boat to Jordan Lake and try it. 
Would you say that walking on water is a little out of your comfort zone in front of 11 other ministers wondering if you've lost your mind or not? I ask you to go from Genesis to Revelation. Did not everybody in this book that followed him, did he not jerk them out of their comfort zone? You know what the comfort zone is, don't you? It's where it's safe and you die on the inside. He's always jerking people out of their comfort zone. I, <clears throat> I, I just love to shove people out of their comfort zone. Number two, concerning paying a price. If you're gonna have something better, you're gonna have to be willing to be misunderstood by people and be criticized. A lot of people stop right there, so I don't make nobody mad, then do without. Newman's, listen to me, what happened to everybody in that book decided to follow Jesus? Did they not have people try to hold them back? You'd be surprised folks try to hold you back when you decide, I want more than this. Let me give you a living illustration of this. Fellas fishing at the beach one time, and I've done this before, He's fishing at the beach. He's surf fishing. Got his surf rod. He's got, he's got a little metal pail beside him, a little two-gallon pail. And in that pail, he's got fiddler crabs. That's what he's fishing with because he's fishing for a sheep's head and they like fiddler crabs. He's got fiddler crabs about the size of your thumb. They scurry across the beach when you walk down the beach. He's got about 30 or 40 of them in a pail. And a guy walks up to him, sees him there, and he says, uh, how you doing? He says, good. And he looks, he says, uh, tell me something. How, how do you keep them crabs in that pail without having a lid on it? He said, I don't have to. They keep each other in there. I don't know if you know this about fiddler crabs or not. Get you some. I've seen this numerous times. You got a pail, got 30 or 40 of them in there, and they're scrambling around in there. They'll never crawl out. Oh, they could easily crawl out of the pail. They'll never crawl out. He said, you just watch for a little bit. And he said that, they watched for a little bit. After a while, one of them decided he wanted to be free and get out of the mess. He tried crawling up the side. He got about two or three inches up there. Two others came over and grabbed him, pulled him back down in there. Go watch it sometime. Fiddler crabs, they, they're like fallen human beings. They can't stand for somebody to get ahead of them. And they'll pull you back down every time. There's something about fallen human nature. The crabs will persecute the achievers. You try to say, we want better. I want better for my family. I want my kids to have better than this. I want better than this. And lo and behold, somebody will grab you and try and pull you back down. You have to be willing to go by yourself sometimes if you're going to have something better. Listen, there's a great movie you need to show your children and teach them this truth. It's called October Skies. It's a movie about the Rocket Boys from West Virginia. One of the greatest movies ever made. And it's one of the greatest truths in God's word. Uh, our kids go up there and do mission work in this little area of West Virginia. It is set in the 1950s and it was... Uh, one of the saddest places on earth. There's a little coal mining town, West Virginia. It's just dark. <clears throat> Every man there works in the coal mine. Every boy there goes to high school. The day you get out of high school, you go to work in the coal mine the next day, and that's your life. And it's hard. This is back before they knew about black lung. And you die at 45 or 50. You're sick. You die young. It's a hard life. But that was life in that little community. I mean, it wasn't all terrible, but it was just tough and it was sad. And this story is set in that little community. These, a science teacher comes to the high school there. The name of the high school is Big Creek High School. It's there to this day. And our kids still stay in that high school when they go up there. And this science teacher came. Well, this science teacher began to talk to these kids and say, there's more than this. I'm not criticizing this. But you can have better than this. And the science teacher began to press these kids to go on up a little bit. Try something better. And so in particular, there were four boys that, it, that involved. And these four boys decided they weren't going to be coal miners. 
They were going to do something else. And they got excited. This science teacher began to teach them about rocketry. You know, little, little small rockets. They were shooting off rockets and having a big time. And they got excited in rockets. So these four coal mining boys from this old coal mining community decided, heck, let's be rocket scientists. Why shovel coal when you can be a rocket scientist? And at the time, America was fascinated, uh, 50s, early 60s, they were fascinated with a man named Warner von Braun, Dr. Warner von Braun. He was the German rocket engineer, the Nazi rocket engineer that, that gave the Nazis their advantage by the rocket program. Well, something happened to Warner von Braun on the way to hell. Right after World War II, he met Jesus and he was powerfully converted. So he left Germany, came to the United States, and took over a rocket program here. And he, he started a group that eventually became known as NASA. He put the first uh, satellite in space. He's the man that put the man on the moon in the 1960s. Well, there was a rocket contest, a little high school rocket contest, and the winner got to meet Dr. Von Braun. So these boys got in it and they won the contest and they got to meet him. And, uh, but these boys decided we, we're gonna do something, we're going up. The story evolves around the fact that the whole town came down on them like a collapsed building because they wanted more. And the people told them, you, you're a coal miner. Two of the boys are brothers and their father in this movie, he's railing at them, telling them, get this mess out of your head. You was born a coal miner. You're going to die a coal miner. This is what you're supposed to be. And the story evolves around the whole town. It kept trying to pull these boys back down and say that this is, this is what you're supposed to be right here. You can't do no better than this. And those boys had to make a decision. We're going to run with the folks we've been running with. We're going to let people pull us back down. Are we going to go with what's in our heart and try to be more than this? Dear ones, if you want something better in any area of life, you may have to fight the folks who are going to try and pull you back to where they are. Of course, those four boys, if you know the story, they did go on to become rocket scientists and leading NASA engineers from that coal mining town. And it's a great, you show that to your kids. Your kids need to see that thing and know, listen, there's nothing wrong with being a coal miner. If you want to be a farmer, you're smart. But I'm going to tell you something. God created you for more than just what's the least I can do and get by. And you, you might have to deal with criticism. The third thing you might have to deal with and be willing to pay a price. You might have to suffer some temporary discomfort to get some long-term gain. I've created, I've come up with a phrase. It's brand new in this nation. It's called delayed gratification. <laughs> it's something nobody knows about in this nation anymore. This, this culture right now is built around instant gratification. Dear ones, to have something better, you might have to delay your gratification. My grandpa, <clears throat> he took what little bit of money he had. He put it in a Maxwell house coffee can and kept it in the outhouse rather than spend it. He knew that. For instance, somebody says to the living God, I'm tired of being worried about money. I'm tired of struggling with money all the time. I want financial security. I, I, wanna, I don't want to worry about this no more. And he says, great. So you want something better? Yes. He says, will you do what I ask you to do? Yes. Listen to me. Turn off those late night goofball preachers who pray over the spirit of debt cancellation. <laughs> if you signed it, you're going to pay it. Quit trying to get out of what you signed. So the living God says, I can help you. I can help you. And you say, okay, praise God. It's going to be better. And he says, start saving. I like that debt cancellation thing better. It's a whole lot easier. Dear ones, there's a small price. But listen to me, listen to me. The small price you have to pay to have something better is well worth what you'll get if you'll go ahead and pay it. 
We got to learn that in this land again. You have to be willing to pay a price. Let me go a little further here. Reality number three about a better life, something better, anything better. It's going to require change, but listen to me carefully. I need to throw in a warning from scripture here. Dumb change is bad. Dumb change is bad. We got people not happy with things right now in their lives, their families, their nations. So they're making changes, but they are dumb changes. And you getting worse instead of better. I'm going to say it again. Dumb change is not good. And we need to go. Oh my goodness. We're in a rough place. For instance, in my nation right now, we had some bath water in this nation that needed to be thrown out. We just tossed the baby out the window too. Shouldn't have done that. Dumb change is not good. I want you to, uh, let me just quote it to you. Let me tell you why you got to be real careful making change. Listen, you, you listening to love talk to you right here. Be very careful making change. Be very careful who tells you to do stuff. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that looks good to a man, but the end result is destruction. Certain change can look real good and you think you're going to do great, but in the end, you're going to be upside down. And you're going to whip. That's Proverbs 14, 12. Matter of fact, that's in there twice. I've asked no few girls, why did you marry him? And she said, it looked good at the, I just thought at the moment, we have got to learn to look down the road. I got friends who decided, this is just my day to talk about my friends. I got several male friends who decided that they'd like to change wives. And they did, contrary to God's word, and they got what they deserved. Yes, they did. And I did not pray for them or sympathize with them. I laughed at them and told them so. I told you not to do that. There was not all change is good. You got to make right change. Dumb change is bad. Y'all remember that. Dumb change is bad. Uh, when, when they tell you, <clears throat> throw the Bible out. Dumb change. We was better than we had it. All right, let's get off that. Here's change. Listen, change. God gives good change. He will show you how to make good change so that you can have better. This book teaches he will show you how to make good changes so you can always have better. His, his thing is to, if you'll listen to me, I want you to listen to this. I want, he has a heart. There was, the Bible without the heart of God will kill you. That's a Pharisee. That's a religious spirit. You got to know his heart. I want you to listen to his heart in Psalm 81 when he said this, if my people would just listen to me, I would have fed you with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. I would have crushed your enemy. Is he trying to get you to listen to him so he can screw your life up? Jesus came to have abundant life. Listen to the man. Let him tell you how to make good change at the right time that'll lead to where you want to be. I want to show you the great verse on good change. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter three. This is one of those verses you need to memorize and review regular. Everybody needs about 10 or 20 verses that are your life pillars. These are the 10 or 20 verses that just shape your life. This needs to be one of them. This is one of the great verses you need to memorize. And this is talking about having something better. All right, you got this? Perhaps you've heard it before. You don't need to just hear this. You need to take your glasses and write this real small on the bottom of the inside of your glasses. My son, attending to my word, remember it. All right, Proverbs 4, excuse me, 3, verse 5 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Why should you not go with what you think is smart? Let me quote 14, 12 again. There is a way that looks good, but it'll kill you in the end. 
Verse six, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will tell you what to do. What do you hear right there? Don't complicate. You say, what does that mean? It means what it says. Do not complicate this. Look to him and say, tell me how to make change so this family can do better. He will do it. Tell me how to make change so my life can be better. He will do it. Acknowledge him in everything. Everything. My friendships, my finances, my, my inner life. You're not supposed to live screwed up on the inside. You're supposed to have peace on the inside. You're supposed to rejoice on the inside. It's, how, how can anybody enjoy their lives in this day? Can I, I'm starting to hear this stuff from believers, how rotten the times are. How big is your God? I thought he was bigger than the junk that's going on. I thought greater was he. I don't care what they do out there. Guess who rules eternally? All right. So we got to turn this thing. Let it, he'll lead us to good change. All right. Suppose that... Uh, Suppose somebody was just get real honest. Quit playing dumb religious games. Get real honest and say, well, Jesus, we're not hating each other. We fight a little bit, but I'm disappointed in marriage. I thought marriage would be better than this. I mean, we're not cutting each other. She ain't like her mama, thank God, but I had to throw that in. I'm disappointed. Talk to him and tell him, ask him, Show me what will make for the best marriage or better marriage. He'll tell you. He said, what's God got to do with marriage? Who created it? Oprah? <laughs> he wants you to have the best marriage. Read the book. Tell him, I, I want, I got to get fixed on the inside. He can do that. I want peace on the inside. What's the advantage of making six figures if you're miserable on the inside? He is the God of peace. He will show you how to find peace on the inside and rest on the in Listen, he covers every area of life. If you'll just say, show me how to make the change I need to make. You want to be successful in life and have prosperity? Oh, you want in prosperity preachers? Sign me up. Yes, I am, buddy. If the man did not want you to prosper and succeed, why did he write you a book and tell you how to do it? Say, show me how to succeed in business. Show me how to succeed as a father. Show me how to succeed in friendships. The man knows about success. Listen to him and say, tell me how to make the change. Show me how to make the change that I need to make in these areas. Once in a while, folks will talk to me and say, my life's a mess. I go from train wreck to train wreck, from stupid thing to stupid thing. And I just wish I had less trouble in life. You come to the right place, Bubba. Tell him I'm done with a life of train wrecks. I will change if you'll show me what to do. He leads us. He leads us that place. Um, let me tell you one of the areas that Jesus is so good in. I'm not convinced my whole nation's in bondage today. You know, we have ministries where people are in visible bondage. We can all see it. We know that. For instance, living free is for people that are in bondage and addicted to drugs. Different things are for people that are in bondage to stuff. 40, I understand 40%, 40%'s a big crowd. 40% of American men are struggling, struggling with pornography. 90% of Americans are struggling with anger and bitterness. You're not supposed to be in bondage to anything. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Go to the man and listen to what he said. If you'll abide in my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free and you can live free. Listen, God don't look down his nose at people who are in bondage. He wants them to have something better. 
but they got to come to him and say, I want something better. And he'll show you how to make change that'll get you there. Be honest with the man. Just be honest with him and he can get you there. Now he'll do it one of two ways. He'll show you through his word or he'll show you through his spirit. But here's the key verse for finding what to do in life. Here's the verse. John 17, excuse me, 717 says this. If a man wants to do what I show him to do, I'll make sure he finds out what it is. If you want to do it, I'll make sure that you find out how to do it. That's John 7, 17. Wonderful. All right. Number five. Here's the reality of having something better. Something better doesn't come from knowing something only. You're going to have to do something too. I'm having knowing just half of it. Doing it's the other half of it. Um, we got a lot of knowledge in this land today. How we doing? It's not just knowing it's doing. All right, let me tell you one area that I think America's suffering in, according to posters. I like to follow posters. And Mr. Gallup, Mr. Barnard, the two great posters in America. And they tell me that happiness is at an all-time low in this nation. How can that be? Doc, look, we've never had more stuff. I thought stuff's supposed to make you happy. What's wrong with us? I, you know what I'm beginning to believe? I'm beginning to believe that stuff ain't where happiness comes from. I heard this guy say a long time ago, this guy right here, I heard him say, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's got to be somewhere else. And uh, I've never understood why people aren't happy. So Brother Ryan, it's not all about happiness. This guy right here, happy is the person whose God is the Lord. All right, I don't understand why people can't find happiness. All you, let me tell you how to find happiness. Buy a Bible, read it, do what it says. This ain't hard. All right, let me show it to you. John chapter 13. Turn with me to John 13. If you can read in John 13, this is the passage where Jesus said, you want to be happy? Do this right here. John chapter 13. This is the passage on finding happiness in life. The majority of Americans, when asked, what are you looking for? This is their answer right here. I want to find happiness. And uh, I've heard people say, I hope, I've heard girls say, I hope I can find a man that'll make me happy. Get you a retriever. <laughs> this is the passage on happiness. Is Jesus Christ God of very God, God Almighty? Yeah. So they're in dinner, him and 12 friends, the, the, the apostles, they're sitting there. Jesus took off his teaching robe, got a pan of water and washed their dirty feet. Had a little trouble with Simon, but he always does. And he sat back down and he said, did you just see what I did to you? He said, you are not above me. If God can wash your feet, you can wash each other's feet. And then he spoke this great verse on finding happiness. Here it is in John chapter 13. Look with me in uh, verse 17. John 13, 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? You got to do it. There's just not enough to know something. You got to do it. See the word blessed. It's the Greek word makarios. And it's translated either blessed or happy. It's the literal word to be envied. You want people to look at you and say, I wish I had what they got. You ever look at somebody like that? That's that word right there. Jesus said, you want to find happiness? You got to, what are the two things you have to do to find happiness according to that verse? You have to know something and then you have to, you have to do it. Blessed are you. If you know these things, you only get the blessing if you actually do it. All right. I've decided I want to be happy. I know I don't fit in in most places, but I've decided I want to be happy. I know what to do. What is that? What did Jesus say in that passage? Serve people. If you want to be happy, serve people. So I just, if I want to be happy tomorrow's Monday, I want to be happy on Monday. Guess what I'm going to get up tomorrow and do? 
I'm going to find me somebody to do something for. I said, well, Brother Ryan, how much do I have to serve? How happy you want to be? I've decided I'm going to be delirious. I'm going to serve everybody gets in front of me tomorrow. Somehow or other, I'm going to serve you whether you like it or not. I was at, I had a wedding last night and I'm sort of standing around there waiting for the stuff to get going. And I noticed that, and this was a real uppity wedding. You know what I mean by uppity? I mean, girls looked like they belong on magazine covers. Men did too, except for me. We was all out there, it was all uppity. It was uppity, beautiful. And uh, we're standing around waiting on the show to get going and the catering truck pulled up and an older black guy gets out and he's got a few helpers. They start carrying food in. And I said to him, tell these people to help you. He looked at me, he said, oh, well, we'll get this. I said, I'll help you. So I just started helping him carry the stuff in out there. The monster, the monster, carrying in the groceries for the wedding. We had the best time. Me and him got to talking about plowing and farming. We had the best time out there. I've decided I want to be delirious. I'm going to find me somebody to serve somewhere. It's that simple, dear ones. If you want something better, do what the man says. Find out and then do what he says. It's that simple. All righty. Uh, can I take a moment and have a little fun at your expense? Okay. Time for high school graduation, is it not? All my kids are graduated. I hate it because I don't get to go to high school graduation and hear the speeches no more. I hate it. Every high school graduation speech says the same exact thing, doesn't it? Tell me what, some, tell me what the valedictorian and the salutatorian and the wishatorian, tell me what they're going to get up there and say. What are they going to say? Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams. Think of something new to say. How about this? Go get a job and help us carry the load, man. <laughs> Fill out a job application. Just my, I'm going to make one of them speeches someday. Say, forget your dreams, get a paycheck. All right. Everybody's going to follow their dreams when they're young. Why do few... Why do so few dreams work out? If everybody's got, everybody, we were created to dream. We're created an image of God who is a dreamer. Why do so few dreams work out? It's not because people don't dream. What does the Bible say? The Bible talks about people who dream, but their dreams don't come true. Let's look at it. I want you to turn with me. Proverbs 13, it's why dreams don't come true. These young girls, this noble prince gonna come riding up on his valiant steed. She, he gonna whisk her away to the palace and they gonna live happily ever after. Barf. I got news for you, Bubba. He's coming in a pickup truck. He gonna take you to double wide. You gonna be the queen of the double wide. Why are dreams not coming true today for so many people? Here's the answer right here. People want better because we're creating an image of God. You're supposed to want better. Why is it not happening? This is just one of the reasons right here. Better doesn't come from knowing something. Listen, you can have a dream and it never come to pass. I know a lot of folks, but I know some folks whose dreams came to pass. Here's the secret, Proverbs 13, verse four. The soul of a lazy man dreams or desires, the word desires means dreams and has nothing. You ever heard of that? How many people have a dream, but it never, they never get anything, it doesn't come to pass. There's a key word in there. I'm sorry, you're expecting something fancy. This ain't going to impress you a bit. Verse four, the rest of it, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. What does the Bible teach me and you there? You need a dream. You need to want something better. But here, is, I'm going to give you the formula for great success and having something better. It's 10% inspiration. That's your dream. It's 90% perspiration. 
I don't care if you dream of having your own business. They're going to come a day you got to pick up the phone and rent a building. They're going to come a day you got to turn, call and have the phone turned on over there. You got to order some food. You got to go in there and go to work, Bubba. You got to set your alarm clock for 430. Remember that about suffering a little bit now so you can have something later? There was a, it's not enough to know you got to do something. Are you willing to do what it takes to have something better? I am stunned at the level of living in this nation and how people just poke through. We were created for something better than this. Something much better than this. We need to dream for more. All right, let me quit by one more word. Number six. Let me close on a good word. It's not just a possibility. Better is out there. This man would not have promised it if he couldn't do it for you. I want you to turn back one more time. Let's look at one more verse. Luke chapter five. Let's look at what he said about promising you something better. You know what new means, don't you? New means new, better. And in this passage on new wine being put in new wine skins, I just see three people in here. He said, no man puts new wine in an old wine skin. You tear it up. If you're not willing to change and you're not willing to pay that price, I can't, I'd love to, but I just can't help you. Verse 39 talks about a man who says, I am content right where I at, right where I is at. If I croak right here, I'm happy. I don't want no more. Jesus said, I can't do anything for you either. But there's a guy in verse 38. And I want you to look at what the Bible said in that verse again. New wine possibly could be put into new wine skins. Is that what it says? What's the word? Every single time. That is the promise from God to you that if you will give him a new wine skin, he'll put new wine in it every time. That is the guarantee of God. Something is better. If you, if you say, I'm, this job is just, I just don't like my job. Now you can't quit tomorrow and not pay your mortgage, take care of your kids, but you can start dreaming and you can start talking to him and he will get you there. If you're willing to take a risk, pay the price, there is something better out there. A better marriage is out there. A better inner life is out there. Greater friendships are out there. My desire is to help people. I've had folks say to me, you sure have been blessed in what you've done. If I die not having done any more than I have, I will croak angry. I'm believing for more right now. What does he say? New wine must go into a new wine skin. Meet the man and he'll do it. This is the guarantee that something better is out there. So I can't understand it. That's none of your business. Your business is to believe and trust the man. And trusted to do what he said he could do. Somebody just said, I'm too old. Moses got started at 90. Caleb at 85. Abraham, he was 100 when he went and bought Pampers. <laughs> Tired of this old stuff. My goodness. You give God a new skin, you see if he doesn't put something new in it. Every single time, verse 38 is a guarantee. I'll make your life better if you'll meet me where I ask you to meet me at. He'll do it. Look right here. If he didn't want you to have something better, why'd he tell you how to do it? The man means what he says and he'll do it. I want to close with one of my all-time favorite stories about better, wanting something better. I love people who want something better. Dear ones, I think contentment's one of the ugliest words in the world. I think to just say, well, this is it. This is the best we can do. I'm old. Our family, I didn't have an education. We didn't have an opportunity. Get off that mess. Who is your God? I think contentment is terrible. There's a picture in the Bible about people who were content and it cost them something. And maybe you remember in the Bible when there's a group of people in captivity in Egypt and God said to a man, 
He sent that. He said, I'm going to send a man and he's going to break you free from that. Y'all remember who was the man he sent? Noah built a boat. Moses. Moses was the guy he sent. And he freed those people. That's a picture of God freeing you from the bondage of hell and from Satan's control. He brought them through the wilderness. There can be some rough places on our way with Jesus. All right, listen to me, listen to me. Where did he want to take them to? Does anybody remember? The promised land. I'm taking you to a a land of promise. He said, it flows with milk and honey. You will live in homes you didn't build. You'll drink from vineyards you didn't plant. I'm taking you to a great place of promise. I didn't just call you to me so you could be out of there. I called you to take you somewhere. A place of promise. And he made these tremendous promises, right? To make the journey, it took a long time. Sometimes it takes longer than we like. Don't you listen to one of the craziest things happened on the way. Right before they got to the promised land, there were 12 tribes, 12 groups of people. Two and a half tribes said, we're going to stop right here. They said, we're content to dwell right here. And those two and a half said, we're going to camp right here. And they stopped right there. You could see the promises, but they never got to them because they said, listen to this. They were content to dwell right there. Are you content for your kids to be like they are? Are you content to stay where you're at? And the Bible said, God fed them. He supplied their clothes. He protected them from their enemies, but they never got the best he planned for them because they were content. Be one of those people who says, there is more. I want more in life. He's got more for me. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to tell you, this is from the heart of God. Here it is, Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you. Good, not evil, to give you a future and a dream and a hope. We do not want to get to glory and go, dang. You're telling me that's what it could have been had I just trusted you? Let's get everything he has. I'm going to tell you my favorite, maybe my favorite all-time story about a woman who said, I want better. Years ago, a little boy was born in the projects in Philadelphia. He had no daddy. There was a poor woman. She had no education. She did domestic work. She was a maid. She had two little boys and she lived in the hood. It was dangerous. The best she could do was public housing. And of course, the father was gone. She had two little boys and these two little boys grew up. Even when they were young, they were in trouble. They hated school. That culture had a great influence on them boys and it was not good. And they hated school. One boy in particular, the older boy, he was very rough, got in trouble. Matter of fact, he got in trouble one day. He stabbed a schoolmate with a knife, pocket knife, stabbed him in the stomach. And it was just not looking good. What's the future of a little black boy in a housing project with no dad, in trouble, hate school? What's his future? But something happened to that poor mama. She met God. She, she found Jesus. Jesus found her. Somehow they connected. And for some reason, this uneducated poor woman, she began to believe what that book said, even when other Christians didn't. She just had this thing about her. She just believed God. And she got it in her that God could do better than this. She didn't want to just go to heaven. She didn't want to just have somebody feed her. She said, I want better for me and my kids than this right here. And she began to pour her heart out to God. She began to really do business and say, I don't want to just go to church and go to heaven. I, I want better for my family. I want better for my kids. And she began to wrestle with God. And he, he told her exactly what I've told you today. He told her, it's going to cost you something. He told her, you might be missing. People might try to drag you back down in this stuff. He told her, it's, it's going to have a price tag to it. He said, but if you'll do what I ask you to do, I'll put new wine. I'll give you something better. I'll give you a better life. And she took off and she began to do it. You, you don't have to have education. You have to have a spine. And this chick had a spine. I love her. And uh, 
she lost popularity with her sons. When she told them, you ain't running in the hood no more. You ain't going out there with them boys no more. You're going to sit here every night. And I'm going to stand over you. You're going to learn how to read whether you like it or not. Sit down. <laughs> I'm having to know we need some new wine in that air in this land. Yes. Mamas, quit fearing your children. Start telling them what to do. I threw that up for fresh on the side. And she took hold of that thing and she jerked them boys around and she pressed them and she pushed them and they complained and she said, cry me a river and she kept pushing them. But she went on her knees every night and she just kept believing God to do something great. And that boy who was in trouble, he was a juvenile delinquent, he was headed nowhere. He graduated from high school, he graduated from college, he became a surgeon, he became the world's top neurosurgeon. The first man to ever successfully separate Siamese twins who were joined at the head how do you go from a juvenile delinquent in a housing project to the most brilliant surgeon in the world? Ended up on the president's cabinet. In my humble political opinion, he should be in his second term as our president right now. How do you go from there to there? How do you do that? You say, that mama, that was God. But that mama, where did it all start? Her saying, she got it out of this book. We can do better. There can be something better for this family. Of course, the man's Ben Carson. One of the greatest stories, and Ben gives God all the credit. And he said, the mama did her part. He said, I like her now. <laughs> what? Remember that phrase I invented? Delayed gratification? Dear ones, let me tell you something. There is better out. God Almighty is just looking for somebody to do what she did and say, I believe there's something better. And trust him. And say to him, you show me the changes to make. You show me where to meet you at and it can be better. I have, I'm not going to stand up here for hours and tell you all the people I've met that said it can be better. And he got them there. And tragically, I could stand here and show you all the people that Jesus spilled his blood out for and they won't let him do any more than they're doing because they can't trust him to do better. Right, here's, my final, here's my final proverb. Are you ready? If the man died for you on a cross, he will help you. If he bled his life out for you, he will pay your power bill. He's already given you the best he's got. He'll give you everything else with it. But there comes a day where you got to say, you crabs stay here. I want something better. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. I just hear heaven's heart. You are good. If, if as a father, if I want great things for my children, I'm always wanting something better for my children. Am I greater than you? Am I a better father than you are? I pray in Jesus' name, deliver us from the religious spirit of an angry God that wants us to suck eggs till we get to heaven. Show us a father who says, ask me, seek, want something better. I'll give it to you. I trust you for that. Thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. Thank you that there is something better. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious name we pray, amen and amen. You